morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 291-6901. And you use our area code here in Baton Rouge, which is 225. Put that number behind it. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We sure wish you would. We always appreciate hearing folks all around the town and all around the country, all around the world. There you go. A lot of times when folks call from outside of our immediate area, outside uh-huh. of the Baton Rouge area, you can get different perspectives. Oh, definitely. Things that happen to their cars that don't happen to ours as much. I know I was talking to some guys who are in the automotive repair business and their shops are up in what we call the rust belt. Right. And... One of their biggest problems is the cars literally just fall apart right? from rusting and corrosion and all that. We, we don't hate, see that at all here. Well, we see it very seldom. A car will get brought down. That has from, come from there. Because mm-hmm. has come from there. But, I mean, when they get down here, being what they are, mm-hmm. there's hardly anything left to repair on them. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the bolts, I, I would hate to deal with that every day. I would. I and would. I guess that's one reason maybe they don't keep their cars as long it's in those possible. regions. They just don't last as yeah, long. Yeah, the cars here... I mean, generally, we see 20-year-old cars pretty frequently. Oh, yeah. And you can keep redoing the mechanicals of it and because the car body holds up well. Sure. It doesn't rust out and fall apart. So you can drive a car a number of years. And depending on what parts rust out, or it, some of that, a lot of that stuff can be replaced. Yeah, it can. So, uh, you know, the car can be saved to go a few hundred more, thousand more miles. Right, and when the structure of the car starts rusting out, well, not so much. So. Yeah, it depends on what the car is worth. That's that. definitely a problem. Let's go to our phone line with Jennifer. Good morning, Jennifer. I've got a 2008 Kia Optima, Uh and I'm having trouble. Like, I'll go to start the car, and I'll turn the key Mm -hmm. all the way, and it doesn't make any sound, but it takes about three seconds for the the car to start. And once it starts, it starts right up. Okay. But when you turn the key, it's like it does nothing at all, and then it kind of catches up? That's correct. I tell you and what. After about three seconds, it'll it'll start right up. But it, you have to hold the key about three seconds. Yes, before ma'am. What you might want to try just as a preliminary test next time, uh-huh. you, it does it pretty much every time. Pretty much, yes. Yeah. Instead of starting in park like you normally do, uh-huh. turn the key to just to own, not to start, and shift it into neutral, okay. and try starting it there and see if it starts right up or if it does the same thing. Because uh-huh. what that'll do, there's a part called a neutral safety switch, which is a part of the transmission. Uh-huh. It could be some problem in that area that is causing that, and that would eliminate all that. So if it does, that's going to give you a lot more insight into where to start looking. Now, uh-huh. beyond that, a lot of these, the, it says an 08, even on uh-huh. 08, a lot of those have a device where the when you turn the key, you're sending a signal to the computer, and the computer grounds a relay, which mm-hmm. causes the car to crank. And what it will do, it will keep cranking until the car starts. It will then reason. It won't crank forever, but it'll crank several seconds if you release the key. Could be something in that system as well, but you would have to have a wiring diagram to look at it and see. If it's got a relay, that relay could be going bad. It, it could mm-hmm. be maybe not making up quite as fast. Even the starter itself, how many miles do you have, Jennifer? I didn't check that roughly, out. Probably I mean, about, roughly about 60,000. Yeah, so fairly low miles. You know, the way that we would diagnose that is we would take a voltmeter and we would go to the starter where the little wire comes in that tells it to start. And I would put a voltmeter between there and the ground, have someone turn the key, and if it immediately powers up, then the problem is inside the starter. If, the, okay. if it's delayed by three seconds and then the power comes in, then we know it's in the control circuit. So there's a lot of little tests you can do, but 
you know, as far as just saying, well, it's this or it's that, I'm not familiar with that problem. It's not a very common problem that I've seen a lot of. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of the possibilities would be if it has a starter relay, the starter relay could be going bad. If the if it doesn't have a relay, the starter itself could certainly cause that. It's even possible the ignition switch may have a bad spot in it and could cause yeah. that. So, okay. again, you're going to need to get it to someone or, if you're pretty handy, take a voltmeter and do that little test because that's going to eliminate half the possibilities right there. Okay, what's, what's the name of the wire that, that you put the voltmeter Well, when you look or, at the starter, there'll be a great big wire, which is the battery terminal. Right, comes straight from the battery. Right, not that one, but there'll be a smaller wire, and that is going to be your signal wire. In other words, when you turn the key, that operates a solenoid inside the starter that makes it okay. start to work. And you would okay. want to check for voltage between there and the ground. And as if you go to my website and just type in the search bar, type in starter, it'll show mm-hmm. you a diagram of how all that works and where to test and where to check. But if you okay. if you instantly have power to the starter, but the starter doesn't instantly crank, then we got a problem inside the starter. If we okay. do not instantly have power, then we have to start checking relays and all the other sorts of things. Okay, so the turning the key and putting it in neutral... And if it starts right up, if it immediately point, starts, and, problem. yeah, well, then it's going through a different circuit there, you see. So we gotcha. go and look at the things that are common to that circuit that aren't common to the other circuit. It's just like a little detective work that you do to okay. to okay. kind of see if we can narrow down on it. Any chance it's a battery problem, or do you pretty much think it's between well, the, if the it, start Well, if, if it initially starts just fine, I mean, if, I mean, inevitably it starts, then it mm-hmm. sounds like the battery is probably okay. Now, I have seen a cable that had high resistance that can cause that. It just doesn't get a good jolt to the solenoid to kick it in immediately. And, again, you could do what they call a voltage drop test across the starter terminals and across the battery terminals. That sounds kind of complicated, but it's really pretty simple. And, again, if you go to the website and just type in voltage drop, it'll give you details of how to run that test and all. But that'll tell you if you have high resistance in any of the cables, and that's another possibility. You you could have a cable Uh that's either loose or just a little corroded or not making good contact. I think that the battery is probably okay because it does Uh eventually start. And when it starts, it starts full force. Right. Whereas a weak battery seems like the more you crank, the worse it would get rather than the better it would get. Gotcha. Yeah, okay. All righty. Okay. Great. Thank you for your time. Yes, ma'am. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive eye, we always love hearing from you. And, you know, that that brings up a good point, Mm -hmm. testing. Yeah. We need to do a lot more testing before you start changing parts. Well, and with parts costing what they cost now, good parts. Good parts, the key word. A lot of starters may be in the three dollars to $400 range. It's not like a starter is $80 or something like that. Your starters can be three, $400 sure. or more. Sure. Some of them can take hours to replace. Right. Because some are buried up under the car, some are under the intake manifold. Yeah. So it just requires more testing before you go and just start changing parts. And we want to talk about testing parts because last week David had called right, right at the end of the show. Right. And asked if we could kind of go into that just a bit. So as soon as we catch some of these calls, we're going to go ahead and talk a little bit about that. And we've got Edward online. Good morning, Edward. Hey, good morning, fellas. Listen, i got a really probably an easy question okay. for you. I've got a 2016 5.0. Okay. Um, and just a little backup, I had a 2014 prior to this. Mm-hmm. I'm changing out the axle back exhaust. Okay. On my 2014, it was clamp on. It was a bolt-on system. Mm-hmm. On the 2016, it's welded. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Is there, of course, you know, maybe you guys can tell me, is there an easy way to cut that pipe? 
Should I take a torch to it? Or I wouldn't take a torch to it no, that's uh, probably for a stainless. number of reasons. It's probably stainless. <laughs> and that tar- it's not yeah. going to cut well with a torch. Melt. And even if it's an anodized pipe, you can burn all the anodization off, which is going to cause you a bad rust problem. Okay. There's several tubing cutters, and there's a muffler cutter, they call it, that looks sort of like a pair of vice grips with a chain on it. It has little wheels on it. Right. It's, got, it's called a chain cutter. Chain cutter. It just wraps around, and when you clamp down, you wobble it back and forth, back and forth, and little wheels yep. cut into the pipe. It makes a nice, smooth okay. cut. Yep. yep. And very good What job. you would have to do is get some type of flared adapter to put the two pipes back together, and you could put a clamp back on it. They go to a welded system or leave out the joints because it saves time on the assembly line. And not only that, it's, okay. a, it's another point for it to leak. Yeah. Any joint in the system is another point to leak. Yeah, I heard an engineer tell me one. He says, parts we leave off cost nothing and don't cause service problems. Right. So okay. they're, they're going to eliminate everything they possibly can. Right. <laughs> and some bean counter probably figured out, hey, we can save a clamp on this car. <laughs> but, yeah. And, and that device, that device is very similar to just a regular pipe cutter it is yeah. it is the only okay. difference in that in a standard pipe cutter is a pipe cutter only has one wheel on it so you have okay. to go round and round and round to make it work and most time on something like that you don't have room to go round and round right. and round this has several little wheels on it so you can just turn it back and forth about an inch maybe yeah you and can, it will cut all the way around the pipe you can make so, a, almost a 360 degree band around the pipe Mm-hmm. Just, just so the point. I guess the old, the old Cajun way, taking a hacksaw blade might not work. Well, if you can get it you in there, room. you can. Yeah, it's just room hard gonna be the usually issue. to get in there with a hacksaw and have room to stroke it. That or uh, like a chop saw with a metal cutting blade yep. would work as well if, if you have the access to get in there. That's the problem. And then, too, cutting it straight because it's kind of hard to guide that thing and make, get a yep. nice straight cut so that when yeah. you rejoin the pipes, you know, it's a little more difficult. All right, but, well, I guess my last question is, if I were to go to a shop here in town and say, hey, I just want you to cut this pipe. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. What would be a fair price? I don't know. Well, yeah, that, I don't know what it would take to get to it, but, I mean, I can tell you cutting is not a very long procedure. What, no, 10, 15 minutes, maybe? If that long. Yeah, you just have to jack it up and whatever you got to do to get to it. I would think less than a half hour charge at most, you know, maybe maybe less than that. So I don't think it would be a real expensive thing. All right. Sounds great, buddy. Okay. I appreciate y'all's help. All, All right, right, Edward. Thanks, Sam. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to take a quick little break. We'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. If you ever plan to motor west, travel my way. Take- Phew, I had a bad dream last night. Girl, me too. I was out on a date with Matthew McConaughey. Well, that doesn't sound too bad. But literally. All he could say was, all right, all right, all right. Still, it's... In auto-tune. All right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. Over and over and over. Oh, it was a nightmare. What about you? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at AGCO, which cost me thousands in repair. Now that's scary. AGCO Automotive's general inspection is the best way to make sure your car performs at its peak and you're not surprised by any major repairs. Bring your vehicle in once a year, and we'll recommend any maintenance. We can even help decide if it's worth fixing or time for you to purchase another. My dream was scary, but yours was, uh, all wrong, all wrong, all wrong. (laughs) Okay, are you finished now? Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersan, with Mr. Brian Terry. We certainly appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. 
Hey, if you have a question or a comment, you just give us calls, 291-6901. We always appreciate hearing from you. That's right. And should you happen to not make not the make radio the show today <laughs> or maybe think of something during the week, you can always get your questions answered any time of the day or night by going to our website. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the form, and send it on in. There you go. Couldn't be easier than that, and I'll get a personalized answer right back to you. The only easier way is to make a phone call right now. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's about as easy as it gets. That's so, it. Yeah, that's what, that's what we do the show for is just to get you a personal answer. We had promised David last week to talk just a little bit about testing parts, incoming parts and stuff, because we had were in the process of talking about that when we ran out of time last week. Correct. And unfortunately, there is not a great deal of testing that the average individual is going to be able to do simply because it requires so much specialized equipment. And training. And training. And it would probably cost a lot more to do it than maybe right. going somewhere and having it done. But some of the things, like on a brake rotor, you can certainly check and make sure it doesn't have lateral run out. And you can also mic the two surfaces on it, make sure they're parallel within one ten thousandth of an inch, which mm-hmm. is pretty critical. Of course, we have a surf test machine at the shop where we can do a surface finish test on it, but those are extremely expensive. I want to say the one we had, we bought maybe 10 years ago, and it was probably $1,500 then. Right. So it's probably $2,000 now just to test surface finish. Now, it gives you a whole other dimension because not only can you check a surface finish on, say, a brake rotor, but you could check the inside of a caliper. You could check the inside of a wheel cylinder. You can check surface finishes on virtually anything, uh-huh. which gives you a whole other understanding of what your incoming parts are. Right. Because that surface finish is supposed to meet a certain specification. And that was the problem we saw on the intake manifolds back few years ago on gm where all their intake manifolds were leaking so bad right the surface was just atrocious. it was horrible you know it was supposed to be around 60 micro inches and these things were reading two to three hundred micro i mean you could reach and grab it with your finger you could, and you could drag your fingernail right. across them and, and feel them well if you can take a pencil and draw a line across it and see breaks in the line you know it's rough. it's way way too rough right and they, to do they the were, job they never did go step up on that no they? they never did own up to it i mean what they find i guess the cars just kind of went away yeah and for the most part they they changed the design where coolant doesn't flow through the intake any longer so now they can make them as cruddy as they want well they still leak and they, and they check uh what to do now they throw a check engine light of course they're using plastic intake manifolds so there's no machining on it right they can just press it to into place and but the, the head still head still rough the rough now they just throw a check engine light they don't leak coolant any longer there's no coolant in them they redesigned the gasket to take up for the the roughness right. of the intake right the horrendous of the heads yeah I mean, yeah just kind of kick, kick the can down the road there. Yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly now i mean when it comes to electrical components it's very difficult unless you have a digital lab scope and a pattern bank where you know what the pattern is supposed to look like sure. for instance when we get an airflow meter we can put a digital lab scope on it, and we can read the pattern, and we know what it's supposed to look like. So if it's not producing the right pattern, we know it's a defective part. Sure. And, and again, send it right back. you'd be amazed how often that kind of stuff occurs. But without that tool, I don't know if there's any way you could really check it. And see, that's where a lot of people could go wrong because figure out you think you got a mass airflow sensor. Right. So you take it off. You take it to the parts house. You leave yours, uh-huh. you buy a new one, which is not a new one, it's a rebuilt one. Right. You bring it back, you put it on the car, you got the same problem. 
Well, so or, now what? Or you have another worse problem. Right. And what happens, a lot of people, times people don't click to it, that, hey, that's a bad part that caused this to get worse. They just think, well, something else happened. Well, and in, in the interim, what happens is that they send your old mass airflow sensor back as a core. Right. It's gone. So it's gone. You can't get it back. And there was nothing wrong with it in the first place. Exactly. So now when you get to the shop and they tell you, well, you got a bad ignition call, which was the initial problem. And a bad and mass you got a bad sensor. mass airflow sensor. Right. Oh, I just changed that. Well, you got a bad mass airflow sensor. Right. And now you're going to cough up about 500 bucks for a new one. Provided you can get a good if one. If you can get a new one. And because your other one is gone. Right. So the key is if you get a proper diagnosis up front, then at least you know that the part you change, if you put it on, doesn't fix it, then you know that part is a defective part. Correct. Because you knew what was wrong going in. But so often people are just kind of guessing. They say, well, I think it's this. And they put another part on. Well, it still does the same thing or does something similar. Well, they assume well, it must not be that. Right. Because that's the new part. And then they go off on a tirade of spending money on other things. I remember taking a GM training school years ago, and the instructor was a pretty good guy, and the first thing he said is never assume a new part is a known good part. That is correct. Yeah, this is not known good. This is simply new. And if you ever read to today, GM's training manuals, when they don't know how to fix something, they'll always say substitute a known good part. Yeah, yeah. So, I, yeah, in other words, try this. <laughs> <laughs> if this don't work, try something yeah, else. Yeah, but it sounds good. <laughs> well, it, it, it is the trouble tree. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, if this don't work, known, go back to step two and start over. good part and see what, what happens. But, right. Yeah, more and more and more, there are just things you can't really test. For instance, a wheel bearing, you would have to destroy it in order to test it. Sure. Now, we have Rockwell testers where you can check the hardness of parts and stuff like that. The average person is not going to have Another tremendous advantage to a shop is that they have a lot of experience. For instance, you know what a CV joint is supposed to feel like. Correct. If you take and hold that axle and move the joint around and there is a peculiar feeling there, you're going to pick up on that. Whereas the average do-it-yourselfer who's doesn't never, know. Who, well, who's never picked up one. Right. And the only one, other one he's ever felt is the worn out one he took out. Exactly. So same thing with a wheel bearing you know by the type of wheel bearing if it should have any slack in it or not because some are going to have a slight amount of slack depending and it's okay on, depending on the on the setup some are not right and you know that from experience ball joints are the same way you could put a brand new ball joint in with some designs and they may have up and down movement in them sure that's perfectly normal that for is some, normal for, for some, that design because the joint. chassis is going to load it in such a way that that's not going to be a problem correct now it can't have any side to side motion now, another ball joint is not supposed to have any up and down. So unless you know that going in, unless you have that experience, you may put a ball joint in, see it's got up and down movement. Now, is it good or is it bad? Right. You just really don't know. And a lot of that stuff check with a, a dial indicator. Yeah, to, to, because the, the movement may only be a few thousandths of an inch. Right. We've hey, got a chart mm-hmm. that gives How much is allowable. Correct. But, yeah, that's another way that you could have a problem. And, you know, I always advise people when you are diagnosing something that is common throughout the engine for instance a spark plug that spark plug is the same in every cylinder correct if you suspect you have a bad spark plug don't just go change all the plugs take that plug move it to a different cylinder and see if the misfire moves now that may seem like you're wasting time but you're not because now you have diagnosed that yes the plug caused the problem if you just throw another set of plugs in it and you get a defective one 
You were back in you the same boat. You still got a miss. You still got a miss. So you say, well, that must not been it. Let's change something else. The same thing with a fuel injector. Most of the fuel injectors are going to be the same in all the cylinders. Right. So if we have a misfire on cylinder two, let's move the injector from two to three and three to two. If the misfire moves, then the injector is bad. You've only got to have the wherewithal to be able to verify that the, that the mist that has moved. moved. Right, which would be a, like a scan a tool of some scan type. Tool or now, if it does reader. not move, forget about the injector. That's not the problem. Right. Same thing with ignition calls. For the most part, the same call fits at least all the cylinders on one bank. Mm -hmm. So if you can move the call from one cylinder to another, then you've verified that the call was the problem. Now, if you put a replacement call on and you still got a misfire, you know the call's a problem. you got a bad call Correct. from the get-go from, here. From the parts house. Yeah, wherever and, you, and we have it. seen that more than one time. Sure. I mean, I have taken oh, yeah. brand-new Motocraft spark plugs out, had a vehicle we were just changing plugs because of maintenance, replaced all the spark plugs in it, now i got a misfire. Right. Didn't have it before. So you know it was running fine before we did just right. the plugs. So now we know we need to go back. And check just the plug. Right. Go back, take that plug, swap it to another cylinder, misfire moves, pull the plug out. You can look at it. Looks like nothing's wrong with it, except right. that it misfires. It's probably cracked internally. Maybe it was dropped. Who knows? Who maybe, knows? Maybe yeah. it just wasn't manufactured properly. Put a new one in it, and misfire's gone, and there you go. That's right. Instead of chasing another problem. Well, or go and start changing the call or changing the injector or changing all kind of stuff, hoping to find that problem. You may not ever find it. Well, yeah. So... <laughs> Let's go back to our phone lines. We've got Robert online. Good morning, Robert. Hey, good morning. Yes, sir. Uh, enjoy your show, by the way. Well, thank you. Thank you. I have a, a basic question. I have a Jeep Wrangler, the 2015. Okay. And I thought it was really weird that it required an AGM battery. So I just wanted to kind of know, what what's the big deal, AGM versus non-AGM? And do I think you really need an AGM battery? Well, you know? yeah, the AGM is just an absorbent glass mat. Rather than having a liquid acid, it's still a lead-acid battery. But rather than a liquid acid, it's got a mesh with a gel in it. Most of the time when they specify that, they're worried about acid leaking out or splashing around. You said it was a Wrangler? Yeah, yes, sir. I guess because it's an off-road vehicle, it may be using rough enough con. It may have something Vibration. around that battery that's pretty critical. Maybe an air conditioning line in close proximity. Maybe a computer they mount it in that area, and they don't want any acid to splash out and get on it. So that may be why they specified that particular battery. I mean, I would probably go ahead and put the glass mat oh, battery. Would. They're excellent. They cost a little more, but they are an excellent product. Yeah, well, the only reason I... The warranty wasn't as good on those as the old timey ones, you know? Yeah, but I wouldn't go by that, Robert, because that warranty with most battery companies is a game they play. What you do, you pay a lot more money for the same battery, and they extend your warranty out, except that when you go to get another one and they calculate it, you pay as much as the new battery anyway. So, I mean, I don't ever play the warranty game. I've never seen anybody come out on that. I'd only buy a three-year battery and replace it every three years, and that way I'm out of, yeah, I don't have trouble. I just... Okay, well, then I'll go that route. Okay. Thank you, All right, Robert. Thanks, man. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to talk to you. Why don't you give us a call? We're going to take one more quick little break and be right back with more. Oh, I had a bad dream the other night. Can't be worse than mine. I was buried up to my neck in the desert, surrounded by an army of prairie dogs, and their leader rides up. Rides? Yep. It's Yule Brenner, and he orders me to eat this huge mound of candy corn. So all the prairie dogs line up and feed it to me piece by piece. 
I'll never look at that Halloween confectionery the same again. What about you? Well, I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco, and my car left me stranded on I-10. Now that's scary. Agco Automotive is here with the best way to keep up with car maintenance. Get our annual general inspection. You pick the month, we check out your vehicle and recommend any maintenance you may need, which can save you costly repairs down the road. That was a freaky dream. Were you on medication, or did you eat anything strange? Uh, yeah, I actually ate a whole bag of candy corn left over from Halloween. 2014. Oh. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, three tools will try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go and give us a call, 291 6901. You know, we were just discussing those, those glass mat batteries. Mm hmm during the break and i really like them yeah they're a good product the only disadvantage that i can see to them is that they are more expensive they are it's a, a, a newer, newer technology it's one of the newer technologies that i find works right because yeah, a lot of new technology is just technology for technology's sake it makes it more expensive without really making it necessarily better right and, and the advantage of it is they don't leak they don't leak and that's a big big problem in fact on our website there's an article an entire series on batteries that leak the damage it can cause. Sure. And I mean, they can do an inordinate amount of damage. Oh, I've seen them eat a whole front end of a car apart. Oh, yeah. I remember we had a little Camaro one time years ago, and the battery leaking ate a hole in the radiator. Sure. And also ate the cooler lines up. And it ate the air conditioning lines up, too. Right. Yeah, if it gets on one of those air conditioning lines, that's sulfuric acid. It's, it's just, not going to take it any yeah, time at all. That's just a piece of aluminum. Yeah, to go through a piece of aluminum. I remember some of the older Suburbans had a problem because the brake line to the right front wheel was yes. right underneath the battery. Yep. And if the acid leaked down, ran down to that tray, there was a hole in the tray, and it would drip off right on that brake line. <laughs> and We've you, changed a bunch of those. Yeah, you would not totally lose your brakes, but you would lose the front brakes. Well, you'd lose the, that half, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, to try to stop that truck of that size with only rear half. brakes, yeah. yeah, you're just not going to stop very well. So it was a pretty scary thing, but... Yeah, they can get on transmissions, they can get on computer sure. lines, they can get in wiring harnesses. Battery acid is a real, real problem. And the only disadvantage other than the price that I see to the AGM batteries is that they don't always come in an exact fit. Right. They're, Some of them are like a universal fit, and you have right. to kind of adapt them and make sure they're installed properly. Right. They haven't got to to the application specific specific yeah. yeah and i guess they probably will as more and more cars go to them I'm sure. and when the, when they first came out they were the 78s and the the real popular yeah stuff. The real popular battery mm -hmm. let's go to our phone line with david good morning david good morning yeah, good i morning. just wanted to say thanks for your little discourse there on part oh you oh, bet i wish welcome. we could give more information than that but unfortunately without some fairly sophisticated testing equipment there's not a lot of things you can check yourself when you mentioned, like, brake rotors, mm -hmm. where do you find the specs on what it should be out of the box, dimension-wise? That is very, very difficult to find because manufacturers don't like letting that out for whatever reason. But as a general rule, parallelism of the face needs to be within one ten-thousandth of an inch. The surface or the run-out side-to-side needs to be somewhere less than about two-thousandths of an inch. And, of course, the lower the better. When you start getting a brand new rotor that wobbles side to side seven thousandths of an inch, you got a problem. And I've seen that a lot. Mentioning batteries, mm -hmm. and if you dig far enough, you can find out some interesting things. One of my cars has a battery under the rear seat. Right? Uh huh. 
it was time to replace it, and mm-hmm. it requires an AGM, and I wondered why. And digging far enough, Mercedes said that their original equipment batteries are guaranteed not to leak for at least 15 minutes while in the inverted position yes so i thought that was planning a little bit ahead yeah and again that battery has to be vented like we were talking about last week so be sure you hook all the vent tubes and stuff up it's sealed but it can still vent under certain conditions well i surely do enjoy your show and i thank you for thinking of uh, me and appreciate it all right, David, I'm always here you bet audience. thanks man bye-bye Take care. you know one other thing that i have seen a lot of people get in trouble by not checking and that is a seal Okay. When you put a seal in, everybody checks to make sure it fits into the hole that you're tapping it into. Correct. But a lot of people do not take the time to check that seal and slip it over the surface that's going to seal and make sure it fits that surface. I've seen it. And I have seen transmission output shaft seals where there were two or three different options on the CV axle, and the inner hole... Now, if it's smaller than required, what's going to happen is you're going to put it in, you're going to put it back together. When you force the axle in, you're going to tear the seal up, and it's going to leak. Correct. If it's larger than the application, that axle is going to slip right in. You're not going to know anything's wrong until you crank it up, and then all's going to come pouring out because it's not sealing. Where that's even worse of a problem is back when they used to have a lot of wheel bearings that could be packed. Mm-hmm. They had several series of heavy-duty, light-duty, medium-duty brakes, sure. and the spindle size was different. But maybe the hole in the rotor was the same. same. And what would happen is you would pop this seal in. Maybe you got the bigger seal. You'd put it back together. And now it's out of sight, out of mind. You had no idea that this was the wrong size seal until enough grease leaked out. It got all over your brand new brakes, ruined the pads, maybe chewed up the seals and stuff in your calipers. Or maybe got water. Started brake pulling. Or water got in the bearing, ate the bearings up. Right. In some cases, the bearings just failed, and people never did trace to the fact they had the wrong seal. Yep. And what's worse is if you go to buy the new seal and you bring the old one with you to yeah. match it up, now you match, match it, it to a bad seal. They I've, match it to what you got. I've seen it. Yeah, it's, and so the problem just perpetuates. But and even with the right seal, mm-hmm. if you don't put that little layer of grease around it so mm-hmm. it's lubricated, mm-hmm. you're going to burn a brand new seal That's up. That's right, because it has to be lubricated. It will eventually, the whatever it's sealing leaks into it enough to, to lube it, but initially, it's got to have some lubricant on it. And if it doesn't, it will burn that seal up, and it'll quit working. You know, we had a company that brought a car to us, I guess about a month ago, and they had a trans- they had put a transmission in the car, but it still wouldn't shift. Okay. And what we found was that the transmission control module was the wrong one for the application. They got a used transmission. Okay. And this transmission was a year older than the one they put in the car. In other words, it was like a... 10 model car and they bought a nine model transmission correct bolted right in sure but the transmission control module was wrong because they had changed something in the software it wouldn't communicate so it wouldn't shift and so all they knew is it wouldn't shift before they put another transmission it still wouldn't shift so they brought it to us Mm -hmm. jeff figured out that they had all kind of interference on network traced it down found out that the computer was wrong so we told them you're going to have to did you keep the old transmission and unfortunately they had not uh-huh. And the module was bolted at the top of the transmission, so it went back with the old transmission. Gotcha. So it didn't have it any longer. So I told him, well, you're going to have to find another computer. And this thing from the company that made the car was, I don't know, $1,000 or so for this little wow. computer module. So they were going to try to find a used one. And so they said, well, can you give me the number off the one that you that's in the car i said well that would do you no good because it's the wrong one right <laughs> if we had the original one i could give you the number off of that 
So what you're going to have to do in this case is to go in, give the dealership the VIN number, and have him look up the proper number, then and cross then that, that and find out what would be on the part, and then go and find it. But a lot of times what folks will do, if they have a wrong part, they will go and try to match this part because they don't have anything else to go by. When you go to a salvage yard, normally they want something to go by. Mm-hmm. But you got to remember, this is the wrong part. Right, so you're just hunting another wrong part. You're going to get another wrong part. We had the same situation where we had a fellow with a Ford truck and the fuse box burned up. Right, I remember that and one. And I was amazed at how many different fuse boxes they made <laughs> for this truck. But they brought three, I think three or four. Yeah, they were all wrong. Ever got one. And every one would bolt up. Sure. And all the wires would hook up. It just, the truck wouldn't run. Sure. And I remember that. Yeah, eventually they got the right one. And unfortunately, they had thrown away the original. Now, if you just want to start swapping parts always hold on to your old parts most definitely one thing every quality shop does that i know of i know when we start changing parts on a car no parts are disposed of until the car leaves the shop exactly once the car leaves and we, then unless the customer asks for them back we'll give them back to them if they don't we dispose of them simply right. because we work on 40 50 cars every week we can't keep all the parts around because we need a building 10 times bigger than we got now <laughs> just to store old parts so we do dispose of them, but we generally will keep the parts until, until the car leaves. Even if there's a core charge on this part, we will generally not send that part back for the core until the car leaves. Right. Because that way we know everything's right and everything's good. I have seen times where, say, we're doing an engine swap, mm-hmm. and we take the old engine out, put the new one in. We keep the old one until the vehicle leaves because every once in a while you'll get a like a used engine that needs, say, it needs it, they dropped it something on it and broke a valve cover right well, you can take the valve cover off, off that the one. original engine right or by any part really or let's say you go to hook up the wire everything's exactly the same everything's sweet you hook up the last little sensor and you go to plug it in and, and you look and the connector's got three terminals on it and the sensor and the engine's only got two right well they change something and that happens all the time well now you go back to the original engine as long as it was working good it's still okay you we take it, it out put it in well, you may have saved the customer $75 for this little sensor that sure. you wouldn't have had if you would just gotten rid of the motor. Right. So, yeah, you always want to hold on to the old parts. And you can always take them back later and get your core money back. Right, because almost everything nowadays is recycled. I mean, the automotive repair industry is a recycling industry. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a wonder that we don't get more credit for that because we do recycle virtually everything. Sure. And so there's generally going to be a charge for the core. That's the old part. When they mm-hmm. rebuild a part, they want that old part back. Right, so they can rebuild it and put it back in the market. Some of those are really, really expensive. I know some of the dashboard, the instrument clusters, yeah. they maybe have a $1,000 core charge on this instrument cluster. And a, a $500 initial charge. A $500 charge. part and a $1,000 right. core charge. All right, that means they want they this want part back. They want to be back. real sure they get that part back. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, they've got all the cards so uh-huh. they make the rules you know you can say well that's not fair that's not right or whatever you want to say and again i i would agree with you except that there's just nothing we can do we're kind of right. pawns kinda, when it comes to the, the low men on the pole yeah yeah it, you know it always runs downhill just seems we always <laughs> live in the valley for some reason i don't know but yeah you you want to always retain your old parts and the same thing let's say you do a tune-up on your car or anything else mm-hmm. always hold on to those parts even if you do something, I remember we had a gentleman came in and his vehicle was not running very well and he had changed an inordinate number of parts. Right. He had changed the timing chains. He had changed the fuel injectors. He had changed the plugs. He had changed oh, the wires, man. all sorts of things. And what we found was the distributor gear 
was worn out. Sure. And it was retarding the timing enough to where it was making the vehicle run badly. However, some of the injectors he had put in were no good because they were new, but they were some kind of cheap aftermarket junk. Right. Some of the sensors he had changed were no good. So fortunately, he had kept all his old parts. I put the majority of his old parts back, back on, on. Yeah. changed the distributor gear, and the thing ran great. And I handed him all his new parts. So we here, see if you get your money back on these. Right. And you know he kind of chuckled and and it was it was amused. But in a way, he says, "Man, I have spent fifteen hundred dollars and probably about two months of work, right, trying to solve this problem." And he was just getting deeper and deeper and deeper because the parts he was putting on weren't any better than the one in fact weren't as good as the ones he was taking off right we see that a lot of times too where someone and i don't want to paint anybody with a broad brush but there are some shops out there who really tend to push certain items and certainly shock absorbers are one of those items that gets pushed maybe a little more than it should right and a lot of the newer cars come with a very high quality shock absorber they may come with a bilstein or kyb or bogey shock absorber as oem equipment They'll take those off and put some junk aftermarket shock. That ain't half as good. Oh, it's not as good as the one they're taking off. Right. Because they had a very high-quality shock on there. And, you know, the thing about shocks, too, is just because it's a little damp around the top right. doesn't mean that shock is bad or no, it's leaking. Because a lot of newer shocks will leak a certain amount of oil around that seal. They will. And then it's just the design. Driving down the road, the dust will collect on them where you can <laughs> see it because that liquid inside that, the hydraulic oil inside that shock is mostly clear. Mm-hmm. So when it leaks out, you're not going to see it until the dust and the dirt form Attaches around it. it. And even down the tube some right. is if it not bad. Is wet around the seal. And on some of them, if it's running down as much as 50% of the shock, they that's, say it's okay. That's not considered In bad. In fact, I think one of the Toyota products says if even if it is running all the way, as long as it's not dripping off, if the entire shock is wet, it's still acceptable. Correct. And when I first saw that, I kind of had a little problem with it because I was yeah, of I'm the mindset once it's leaking, it's bad. But you notice if you... Do not replace it. The car still drives just fine, and sure. it drives fine. You keep rides seeing the fine. car for rides years, Nobody and it still drives it. fine. So, obviously, they were they were correct on that. Mm-hmm. I know we see that a lot of times with rack and pinions. It's not unusual for a rack and pinion to have a little bit of fluid leak in it. Now, technically, it is leaking. Correct. But if the leak is not very bad, it's not something that requires immediate replacement. It's something that requires monitoring. Mm-hmm. Watch so, how much fluid you have to put back in. Because as the fluid leaks out, you're going to know how much is leaking out because you've got to put that much back in. It's a sealed sure. system. So if you're adding a pint of fluid once a year, does that That's... really warrant a $1,200 rack and pinion replacement? Well, not in my book. Right. You know, some people say, well, it's leaking. Okay. Now, now well, let's change it. Oh, well, well, that's great. If you want to do that, that's fine. But it's not necessary to replace it. It may be that it's inconvenient for you right now to replace it. Maybe sure. you don't have the money. Maybe you don't have the time. Maybe whatever, but the point is what you want to do whenever you get a recommendation, always ask the question, suppose we don't do this. What will be my implications? Correct. Now I've seen times where a valve cover may be leaking on one car. It's really not a problem. It's not leaking that bad. It's not causing any other issue on another car. The same type of leak is dripping straight into the alternator. Now, that is a big problem because if you allow this to leak, not only do you still have to fix it, but now you have to buy an alternator or maybe a starter because all got into them and took them out. And not to mention what else it's going to destroy because if the alternator quits charging, the battery's not going to get charged. Well, that, or if it gets on some of your rubber in your front end, dissolves the rubber. We see that quite often. Yeah, so 
always ask the person making the recommendation, okay, I agree that this is a bad part, but is it something that requires immediate attention or is it something I could wait on? Right. And the answer is going to vary depending on the severity. And if you're dealing with the right guy, you're always going to get the right answer. I know we get people all the time. They'll come in with an old timing belt, maybe eight, nine years old. Mm -hmm. And they'll say, well, I really don't have the money right now. I'll say, well, this is not something you can put off. Right, because when it breaks, and the key point there is when it breaks. Right. This, it's gonna this break. is a game changer. Right. This when is it breaks, not, it's taking the engine out. Right. This is not something that, number one, it's going to leave you stranded. But number two, in many, many cases, it's going to destroy the engine. Sure. There are a few engines under the right conditions that can survive a time belt break. Not uh, many. Called a freewheeling engine. But what you have to remember, I've had people say, well, mine broke. It didn't hurt. Well, you got lucky. Right. But under the wrong conditions, Basically, all engines are interference because if a timing belt breaks under the wrong condition or timing chain, you can have damage. Sure, the valve's down and the piston's coming up when it's right. not supposed to be. Well, if the engine's overheated when it broke, the valve may seize and stick down further than it should. I mean, all kinds right. of things can happen. Things. Yeah, it's it, there's just the sign freewheeling engine is not like a get-out-of-jail-free card. Oh, my God, I ain't got to worry about this because it's a freewheeling <laughs> engine. At very least, you're going to be stranded. Sure. And then and just, a tow bill. I have seen the belt come off tear up the crank sense sure tear up all kinds of things because it's wadded all up in there so no it's not you're going to get by free with this it's just one of those things that you cannot wait on hey fred hold on you'll be straight up after this break man i had a bad dream the other night oh me too i was abducted by aliens but they weren't little green men they looked more like a cross between a chicken and a gremlin like the 80s movie yeah so they take me up to this spaceship and onto this theater stage and in the audience sits all the cats of my ex-girlfriends and they're just sitting there judging me even mr piddles who i actually kind of liked oh uh, what was your dream I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at ATCO and my car broke down. Now that's scary. Hey, at ATCO Automotive, we know it's hard to keep up with maintenance. What do I do at 15,000 miles? What do I do at 75? We recommend an annual general inspection. Just pick a month and bring in the vehicle. We'll give it the once-over and can recommend any maintenance you may need before something causes bigger problems down the road. So did they take you to their leader? No, they made me watch a cat video reenactment of Steel Magnolias. It was horrible. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm Louis Aldazan, your host from Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey, Twin Tools will try to answer any automotive questions you might have. And we've got Fred's been patiently holding. Good morning, Fred. Howdy. Yes, sir. Good morning. Bluetooth working. You hear me? Yes. I got an 08 Tahoe on the information center. The bill of track, traction control notices have come on and ABS light at the same time for about the past month. Mm-hmm. In a minute. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Those three are going to come on together, Fred, because they all use a lot of the same input. So normally when there's an issue with one, it's going to affect all three. You have to diagnose that just like you do a check engine light in that there's a computer that runs it. But now a normal little code reader will not be able to get to that. You have to have a GM Tech 2 or an MDI. equivalent MDI-type scan tool that can go into the chassis module, retrieve the codes. Now, that won't tell you what's wrong. That'll only tell you where to start looking. For instance, it may say left rear wheel speed sensor fault. Well, that doesn't mean the sensor's bad. It just means there's a fault in that circuit. It could be the wire got chewed by a squirrel. It could be the sensor is bad. It could be somebody changed the brake rotor and didn't put the right brake rotor back on. Now it doesn't read or it only partially reads. 
It could be someone turned the rotors, got metal down in a little magnet, and now it's not reading properly. It could be the module itself is just not seeing that sensor. So what you have to do is go in with the proper tooling, retrieve the code, and then just start manually verifying the circuits. But it's going to be something in that circuit. It could be one of the wheel speed sensors. I mean, it could be a number of things. It could be, oh, just on and on and on. There's a sensor on the steering column that tells it when the vehicle's traveling straight. That has to be recalibrated sometimes. It ties into the braking system. I mean, it ties into just about everything on the car. And any input from any of those sensors that is intermittent, like a loose wire or a sensor going bad or a sensor that's marginal, can throw that light. And it doesn't run every test on every drive cycle. That's why it may only come on sometimes. In other words, if you don't drive far enough, it may not run a certain test. If it doesn't run that test on a couple of drive cycles, it may turn the light back out. Then the next time it runs the test and it fails, the light comes back on. So it's an issue. It's going to be in there. All the data is captured on it. So you just have to take it to someone who can read it and investigate it for you and tell you what it is. Now, do yourself a great big favor. Do not disconnect the battery for any reason yeah. before you get it fixed. Because you'll lose all your data that they need to fix it. Right. All right, two more quick questions. I had the rear shocks and the, the struts change. Mm-hmm. Might that have absolutely oh absolutely yeah if it had the electronic strut option on you put a non-electronic strut back on there or if you put a strut that doesn't see it even counts the number of bounces on the struts on some of those systems so it knows when the truck's bouncing and if you put a strut other than the original gm strut on there very very well could have did this start happening right after that or was it doing it before yes after right out right out that's that's, where i would start looking for sure and again by retrieving the code if it gives you some kind of a circuit fault now two it doesn't mean that the shocks you got are defective it could be when they plugged it on one of those little connectors didn't get plugged in right right so i mean first off i take it back to her put shocks on and just say hey guys ever since i put shocks on, i'm getting this message could you check it for me and see if it's related you may or may not choose them to fix the problem but you know uh, i would at least give them a shot and see because it may be a wire's not plugged in good yeah, okay. All right, very good. All righty. Thanks a lot. All right, You're thanks for calling, Fred. Bye-bye. All right, well, I see we're just about out of time. But, you know, gives the giveaway there is if it started right after something. Right. That's kind of where I'd go back doesn't to. doesn't mean that that's the problem. No. Nope, because coincidences do occur. I know they've happened to me before. They happen, but But that's logically. where you start looking. You're going to start looking by retrieving the code. Correct. And if it's the code indicates something totally different, let's say it says right front wheel speed sensor well, well then you, then you know yeah. it's nothing to do with that but if it's a circuit code having to do with the shock absorbers or whatever because a lot of those vehicles do have electronic shocks on them that sure. count the number of bounces and they they do all kind of little gyrations and what make all kind of adjustments and yeah <laughs> yeah and if you don't put the exact original equipment part back on there it may not like that i know some of the european cars the shocks have an ip address Really? And they have to be programmed, and it can only be programmed one time. Right, just so like everything else. you cannot put an aftermarket part on it. Mm-hmm. I know some of the Volvos are that way. You have to program that shock to that car, just like you do an instrument cluster or wow. a body module or whatever. And <laughs> it, once it's programmed, it's That's married. It. That's it. You know, yeah. you're not, So you can't put a used part, and you can't put an aftermarket part. Right. You are forced to go back. Back to get that part or get another car. <laughs> yeah, or get another wow. car or put up with the light. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, yeah, those new systems are kind of cool in, in some ways, but they do break, and when they break, they're complicated, they're and they're expensive to fix a lot of times. And the problem is they're just way over the head of most do-it-yourselfers who sure. don't have the tooling or training 
to address that. It's not like the old days where you could go in there and do anything. Certainly check for a loose wire or something, but much beyond that. Yeah, you need a professional take a look You're going to probably have to have a pro go in there and check it. So, Hey, I want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening to us this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, get some more people listening. Go to your favorite rebroadcast or broadcast service and fill out the written review for us. There you go. That'll move us up in the rankings, which will get more people going. And if everybody out there would get just one more person to listen, we could double our audience. There you go. There you go. We sure make us happy. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.